0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM coach, and this is episode 86. And welcome. Thank you for listening, and thank you for joining me on this journey we take into the ultra-endurance and endurance world. And yes, I've talked a lot about it with ultra-endurance with regards to how it applies and what the difference is with endurance, but I don't want to leave anybody out because As you have all heard from me many times before, I believe that being an athlete is a mindset, and therefore, as we progress into our training and go from a 5K to a 10K to a half marathon to a marathon and beyond, or from a sprint triathlon to an Olympic distance triathlon to a long course triathlon to an Ironman, we're going from masters swimming and shorter swims and learning how to swim, to open water swims, to longer swims, to lake swims, to ocean swims, to, you know, and marathon swims. And same thing, cycling and a variety of combinations of the sports and hikes and runs and rucks. And there's so much out there that turns us into not only athletes, but endurance athletes that lets us grow and get to the outer boundaries of what we felt and thought we were capable of, that's what we talk about here on the podcast. The Weekly Word is truly about helping you engage with your endurance self, with nature, because most of ultra endurance and endurance training, as well as events and adventures and expeditions are surely outside occasionally there are the unique little events that do take place indoors but you know as we even go into the winter I encourage you all to stay outside to do what we can to remain outside in nature to feel the seasons to embrace the seasons we have such great technical clothing and gear and breathable clothing and food and Hydration products that allow us to train outdoors in the winter. And no, not every day, but still getting your fill in every week, let's say, of some nature and outdoors and seeing how things change in your environment around you. I think that's special. And I think it's unique that you all get an opportunity to apply your body and your own fitness in nature outside in the fresh air many 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 people as we know cannot do that and they're hopefully on their way also of getting their body in in shape and fit for service in this you know world of ours and i know that's a big term world of ours but with a healthy body with a fit body everything becomes easier Everything takes on a different perspective. Everything is um, a more positive flow to your day because you feel good from the inside out. And that's a lot of what I talk about on the Weekly Word podcast, how to use our fitness, how to use our daily routines, how to use our health, how to use our lifestyle to make us better people, to take that time every day and focus on ourselves and use that self-time and that self-focus to actually contribute more to others. Because we have taken care of ourselves every day, an hour, 45 minutes, even 30 minutes to spend with ourselves and our breathing and exercising and getting the heart rate up and so forth and turning the outside world off and focusing on ourselves allows us more space and real estate and patience and time to deal with the things on the outside world, our loved ones, our co workers, our responsibilities, our community, because we took care of ourselves every day. I'm a big, big believer in that. And you all know that from what is now 86 episodes. So we talk about nutrition and we talk about fitness, we talk about training and we talk about details of that as well. I go into a variety of um, emails again this week. I think that's a good. Um, technical aspect of this podcast that every week I answer a few emails that go into training and the approach and some tips and advice. But also in a big picture perspective, I want to stay true to what I really want to convey to everybody. And that is your ability to connect with yourself and your best potential and your best self, which many of us don't even know what that is yet, um, helps via exercise. That every day spending time with ourselves and breathing and feeling alive allows us to be present with our body. And being present with our body also create creates a connection to what is below the surface there. And below the surface, I believe, is an unconscious, a subconscious, a different version of ourselves that is that is reaching out to communicate with us. And um, below that surface is our best version of ourselves, and it starts, in my opinion, again, this is totally my opinion. It starts with putting ourselves into a daily routine where we're focused on self in order to listen to that subconscious self. For some, that's meditation and yoga and a variety of other practices, breathing practices, quiet time, etc. For others, it's exercise. And exercise, the longer we go, the more we stay in tune with our body. The longer we go, the more opportunity there is to be present and not be thinking about the future or the past, but instead on the current process of swimming, biking, running, hiking, strength, whatever it is. And in those moments, when we're focused on ourselves and our present moment, the gateway, as I like to call it, to our subconscious mind sometimes opens. And we have these moments of understanding and listening and hearing and noticing what's going on in that sub-self, in that subconscious, in our unconscious selves, in our most realized potential selves. And with that, the more we're in it, the more times we can hear that voice. This is my belief. And this is why I write about nature and meaning. This is why I talk about that growth is because I believe, and this has been formulated over the last years, um, that because of that growth time and our ability to be in that space more frequently, it allows us to see a version ourselves more frequently that is pretty unique and pretty remarkable and pretty awesome and pretty alive and pretty vibrant and pretty connected and pretty um, good with regards to our place in contributing to the immediate world around us, family, work, community, environment. And so that sort of captures more of what I try to talk about here. The three-legged stool is actually that connection by daily routine and daily connections to ourselves. We can balance that stool better. And I believe the platform that holds the three legs together is defined by our subconscious and conscious self and our ability to connect with that best version of ourselves. And that's what holds it all together. And sure, like I talk about, there's times where work and family take a bigger role and life of the athlete has to take a a smaller role. And I go, I go through those phases myself. Currently, I don't know what my next adventure will be. Yes, it, New Zealand sounds great, but it might not work out. There's other things going on in my life, a, a remodel of a home and those things that this is when the three-legged stool might need to be reshifted, rebalanced. But that doesn't mean I won't continue to stay connected with the outdoors, with my training, with my daily focus on self. And that's what we like to get into here. We, all of you and I, because your questions are coming my way and your feedback is coming my way on what you like on the podcast and therefore it's a we. This is our podcast. I like to contribute as much as I can to it and then bring in other people as well occasionally in order for them to contribute as well as questions and insights, but we have created this dialogue that I hope I can have a little bit of an influence on your day to make you a better version of yourself. And no, this isn't a self-help podcast. This isn't from a psychological standpoint, a um, coaching podcast like that. But again, what I tie this all into is ultra endurance and endurance training and how we can maximize our limited time because we're all busy and other things in our lives to use also that time to grow ourselves. It's a combination of fitness. It's a combination of our own self growing. It's a combination of our spiritual, physical, and mental growth. And all those things at the end of the day make us better athletes. And when we're better athletes because of those three components that are growing, we're also going to be better people and love what we do, why we do it, the sacrifices we make for it. And others will see how that will have how that has a huge impact on us. And they will support us more in our daily um, training and growth and adventures that we look to take on because again, it impacts so many people around us, how we train and how we get up at 4.30 in the morning to get in our 90-minute run before work or on a Saturday getting in a three-hour bike ride or a four-hour bike ride before the kids' soccer games and not because we're forgetting the soccer games. We're getting up at 4 or 5 a.m. or getting out of the house at 6 a.m. with lights and riding in order to be done in time for family and be at that soccer game or to be done before work and have the evening off in order to be there for our kids and our partners and have dinner and so forth. I mean, everybody has a different situation, but you know what I'm saying. In order to balance it all, seeing what you are sacrificing yourself, seeing it as well as those who love you around you, seeing it just creates a bigger network of support because they want you to grow too. Everybody around you, whether they want to admit it or behave like it, they want you to grow too. People like to see people doing better around them because it elevates everything. It elevates everyone around them, around you. And your positive flow, your good energy flowing from the inside out will attract those people that want to see your success. They want to see your growth. Those that are around you that don't want to see it, They'll stand out anyway. You'll notice it based off of your energy that's returned from them, that's negative, that's sucking energy away. Excuse me, and I'm not saying reject those people, leave them alone, or put them on their own path. Sometimes they need help. Sometimes they need your friendship and your support. And feel that flow and that energy and that positive energy that you're emitting around them that's fine. It's okay for others to suck our energy at times. But as long as you're aware of it, and as long as you're um, in a space that you're okay with it being sucked from you, that's good. That's fine. Because that allows you again to be a ambassador of health and solid footing and growth and positive energy and to show what daily training and fitness and growth can mean for you so and therefore mean for others but another tangent of (laughs) the weekly word podcast so um this week we'll go into some emails as i already mentioned and we'll also go into some um, training approaches i talk a bit about the limits of zone 2 I talk about taking a break more on the terms of last week, on why we take breaks, and I go into some other training topics. So from that, enjoy, enjoy and let me know of questions, let me know how you like it, and then also let me know if you want to be a part of that newsletter that I sent out last week. Um, A lot of you gave me some great feedback, I'd love to hear what's missing too, Um, if you want to get tidbits or information from the newsletter that I'm not providing yet or that you didn't see in the first one. Sure, it's the first one. I'm sure it will grow and change. But if there's something specific you would like to see, let me know. Same thing as on the podcast here. If there's something that's specific that you wanna see or um, topics that you wanna address, send them my way. I'm glad to talk about them. All right, well, enjoy this week's podcast. Enjoy the discussions we have and I will uh, talk to you on the back end of this podcast. I had a conversation with an athlete who I would say two, three days ago. And I've been thinking about it some more just because of how I'm conveying, relating the message. And one of this, this conversation revolved around taking a break due to a pretty busy year of training and a newer athlete of mine. So a change in training. And his previous coach seemed to have valued a different type of approach, less quantitative, more on feel and observation. And I know that sounds weird coming from me because I definitely am a proponent of feel and observation, but I also like to work with athletes um, that are looking for a new stimulus with regards to numbers, with regards to wattages, with regards to percentages, with regards to their growth and quantifiable growth, I should say. Um, whether that's in running or cycling. It's harder to do in swimming, but there is a way to do it in swimming. and um, But I won't bore you with those details here. And so with that switch in training, you know, the body is stressed in a different way and it's asked to do different things in a different way. And it's asked to adapt to the training in a different way and different recovery phases and different stimulus and different routines and different training patterns and especially different training load. Now, you know, it's a question of higher quality in this case due to A, the numbers, B, the distances he was getting ready for were shorter than your typical ultra endurance event. So there was more quality involved. And also his profession had a high level of stress with regards to the um, branch of the military he's in. And so therefore You know, when he was training, it was pretty focused and it was pretty on and he was really enjoying it and he wanted to go crush and do his best at um, 70.3 World Championships and he did. Um, A very diligent, focused athlete. Um, But that being said, after the World Championships, I felt it was a good idea to take a break, to let the body really absorb, um, change the focus, shift the focus um, allow it to exhale a bit do different activities before we do a big um, full season build into our second season together which would be our first full season together which includes pre-season and then the full season build so but that was not the case um, because Um, The athlete wanted to do a few more things and had a few other things on the radar, as well as is the type of athlete that enjoys just always racing and being on and frequently um, validating training performance, training um, data as well as just enjoying to race. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And I'm not here to have any opinion on that. I believe there's people who just love to race. And why would I in any way want to discourage that? Absolutely, go race, enjoy this, have fun. Like I always say, this is a hobby. And if that's what's fun for you, for sure, let's do it. But as you all know, I don't enjoy it from a perspective of injury risk, burnout risk, um, lack of absorption risk, adrenal fatigue risk, um, just overall body tired risk, motivation risk, all kinds of risks if there aren't gentle waves in the cycle. And as we talked about last week of um, clear breaks in our um, growth year after year, that there aren't true reset buttons and that the body the mind and the spirit can truly distinguish between the end of one season and the beginning of another um and as you know from last week i feel that's very important but that is also in some ways a conflicting message to many athletes that i have that are starting now in training for next year and so as i finish with this athlete um he, in this case, will most likely have to pull back anyway because some um, injuries, niggles, have crept up and are not going to allow him to carry through the fall and into the early winter with the racing and the training as he had planned. And so I had said to him, you know, eventually our bodies will tell us when it needs a break. And it can do that by agency, which is, Um, it will eventually get itself injured, not on purpose or not like as if it has a mind of its own, but there's just a breaking point. And at some point, um, those cracks, that pressure, will increase and increase and pressure finds cracks and cracks will get further opened and soon we'll have a broken engine, um, for lack of a better description. Now, that's not to be an alarmist here and cause all kinds of negative downer um, conversation around that, but again, there's times where we can be motivated, but if our body's not playing along, we can't force that. And that's one of those times where I say to many athletes, my athletes or athletes in general, there's times where you can do mind over body, absolutely, but there's absolutely times where you can't, where the body will tell you, nope, we're done we want to a break we want to exhale and if you're not going to take it we'll force it upon you and what i meant before by agency is you can do it on your own choice and your own control and when you want to do it and do it because now's the smartest time and life lines up and priorities line up or your body can take it from you. And I'm not saying in a huge form of a stress factor or of something broken or being um, chronically sick. No, 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 I'm just saying that something comes up where we know we should be pulling back and we have to listen to that. And so then there's that flip side, those athletes that I'm having start now. And you would say, well, Chris, that's very contradicting. On the one hand, you're telling these athletes to take a break and some time off. But on the other hand, you're telling me, or these athletes now, eight, nine months, 10 months before their event to get started. What is that? What's up with that? Well, it's a different approach and a different theory at play there. And that is when the athlete has limited time in their training, as well as are brand new to me, as well as I don't know their history, as well as um, a few other things in the narrative of their story line up that time allows us to take that pressure off time allows us to get to know each other time allows us for wedge weeks and wedge days where well, we need to skip training because we're not quite there yet our body's not quite yet there yet our body's not quite aligned with this training volume yet or we're still recovering from a previous injury from before me, or we are not used to this type of training, frequency, volume, intensity, whatever that is, and we can spread it out more? Absolutely, we want time. And many athletes have big, scary goals. As I say, they've taken on goals that are on the far edge what they deem possible. They're not really that certain they can do it yet, but I'm proud of them for taking on something dangerous scary it addressing a fear not necessarily a fear that they feel inside but something that there is on the outer edge of their confidence right and something they're willing to lean into and to embrace and say you know what i am surely going to try i am in control of one thing and that is my effort and my effort is how i prepare for this And how I prepare for this is by not restricting myself into a limited time to prepare for it where everything has to click at once and I have to put together 18 training days in a row with one rest day, otherwise I'm off track. I am going to start early and do this build in a healthy, gradual manner right? So that the stress isn't big upon me, upon my body, upon my motivation, upon my family, upon my career, upon my work, upon everything in my environment around me, that it's all gradual. Because the impacts roll down and they're gradual for everybody. They start noticing, okay, you know what? This person has this training and I'm starting to see that that's ramping up and so The people who care about you gradually get introduced to that as well, whereas all of a sudden you're gone for, you know, 14 straight weeks. Yeah, that's a little bit um, stressful. It's also a little bit obsessive, right? And people take it, they, they misunderstand it. And I'm not saying about who cares about the support network with regards to what they think you're doing what you're doing because you set yourself a goal and you're proud of it and you're going to work hard towards it and so forth. But I'm saying we can make this entire process gradually healthier in many ways from body, mind to our immediate surrounding. And so yes, for them, I'm saying at this time of year, we want to take a very gradual but meaningful approach towards building fitness for a hundred miler, for a excuse me, 50 miler for an Ironman for a marathon swim. I have a guy who emailed me the other day and he might be laughing on the on this podcast right now. Um, he says he's not much of a swimmer and his brothers are doing a marathon swim of 25.5 miles. And he said that he's not much of a swimmer and actually formerly a rugby player. And he just thinks it's good to do something um, because... Um, to have a goal in front of him, have something to work on every day. And you know what? I could read through that email, through those lines, that he's doing something pretty scary, right? He's a, he says he's a below average swimmer, right? He gave himself a three or a four on a scale of one to 10, 10 being Olympic level scale swimmer, one being a complete beginner, right? So to sign up for a 26 mile ocean open water swim, Across a channel and um, some pretty gnarly waters or colder waters. I don't know how gnarly they are yet. I haven't researched that yet. In the British Islands. Like, that's that to me. I could right away read in there. He's doing something on the outer boundary of what he's familiar with what he's comfortable with that really challenges him that somewhat scares him and therefore keeps him going to the pool and will keep him do the doing the core and the strength and the stretch cords and the body work to get his body ready for what will be a long long swim 26 mile swim that's legit right but that's the whole challenge here that's the whole beauty here and we're going to take our time Right? I bet you if I threw him in the open water right now and asked him to swim two miles, a tenth of uh, two point five miles, two point six miles, a tenth of the distance that he's going to be doing, he would struggle. But we have ten months to get ten times the distance in, I hope. We we haven't started yet and we're still in conversation. But I I enjoyed reading that email and that vulnerability because that's what it is and that's why I like people to take on these adventures with a long-term approach and why at this time of year it's a, okay it's October now towards something next summer Because we can gradually build we can weed out the difficulties and the scheduling challenges and the sicknesses and the kids responsibilities and the kids getting us sick and the holidays and all that we can just consistently stay connected and work and work and one month after one month after one month, each at the end of each month. We're a little bit better. We're a little bit more yardage. We're a little bit more progressed. We're a little bit better in open water. We're a little bit fitter. We're a little bit stronger. We're a little bit more powerful in the water and familiar and natural motions and so forth. And that's all it is, right? We control only our effort and our prep as we're moving along. We don't control tomorrow. That's the future. We have zero control on the future. We can mess with the probabilities of the future. Sure, we can pr- predict, um, not predict, but we can um, get a sense what the highest possible, out- highest likely outcome is. Sure. But can we absolutely predict? Do we know the future? No. We do know one thing today and what we can do our best at today. And that is preparing ever so gently towards that long term goal of ours. So that's the two ends of that spectrum, right? Those athletes that are on edge that should be taking a break because they have accomplished a lot this year. They've put their body through a lot this year. They have provided it with a new stimulus and asked it to do a lot. And now it's time to allow, reward that body, give it a break. And for some athletes, like I said last week, I want them so itchy and so moody and so upset and so antsy and so um, not depressed, but um, you know, gloomy, or a moping around the house type of attitude, that they truly understand what they miss about training every day and what they miss about being outside or being on their trainer when it's difficult in the winter, or what they miss about driving to the pool or having to get up early in the morning. What is it they miss? Is it the routine? No, that's not gonna help us in a few months. Is it the daily um stimulus of exercise? I hope not because that's exercising. Is it the daily grind of training and intervals and all that? Mm, I hope not that either. It's the fact that every day we wake up and we have a task at hand, we're trying to do our best at it and that we wanna do great for today and be at our best today, but we know that our best today That little puzzle piece fits into a bigger piece towards our health, towards our goals, towards our future outcome, towards what we are and how we shine our energy outwards today, towards everybody around us, towards ourselves, how we care for ourselves. How we care for ourselves is how we care for others. There's so many concepts at play. And if we dig deeper by taking some time off, we actually recognize more and more of those that are of value to us. And there's nothing wrong in that time off to also commit to different things, to saying, you know what? I'm gonna go for a walk every week, a hike every week with my wife or my husband or my kids and get them outdoors. It just allows us to reset and make new um, take, take a new perspective on the journey of endurance ahead of us. So taking breaks is important. Finish lines are important. Um, evaluations are important, but also taking a long-term approach towards those bigger goals are important. And so I wanted to take a bit to explain those two um, ends of the spectrum of what we're doing at this time of year here in October, Um, not from a specific training perspective, but from an approach perspective. Some are on a long-term approach. Others are also on a long-term approach, but they need to take a break and allow their body to exhale, to rebuild, to refresh, to restart, and allow that break in the action to actually clarify a lot of things for the mind and the body and that spirit, what I call that soul with regards to motivation and desire and excitement and why we do this. I had a conversation the other day with Hishami, my athlete, doing the four deserts. And we had a difficult conversation wrapped around um, what the expectations would be for this next event. And as you all can imagine, and I'm always quite sensitive to with regards to Ultra Endurance, Hishami doesn't come from a long background of doing big running volume year after year or gradually building it over the last three, four, five years in order to take on four deserts like this in uh, in a matter of, you know, uh, I would say at the end of it, it'll be like 10 months, Um, six uh, day races, four of them in a year over a matter of 10 months so the training and the volume and just moving to ultra running versus doing triathlons and stuff like that has definitely added a load onto his body and so paying close attention to that and his sensations and he's really good about that we had a difficult conversation because his pf his planter was bothering him the last few weeks post Gobi desert And so our training has been limited to some cycling and some um, swimming as well as a lot of hiking. So still getting used to the weight on the back, but not as much running and more around um, hiking and walking with a little bit of running interspersed in there. And again, all these situations for everybody is so unique and individual to them um, that you always need to factor in That what I'm talking about here is specific to him and his conditions and where he is and how he's trained and his desired outcomes and so forth. So what made the conversation difficult was that we talked about letting go of any type of expectations for this event. And it might mean, you know, walking most of it. And on the one hand, he sounded like he had prepared himself mentally for that. The other response was not showing that, that there was more competitiveness and ego involved. And I abruptly cut him off and said, listen, let go of the ego. You will not have the experience you want if you let your ego and competitiveness get in the way. What does it make a difference if you're 9th, 11th, 17th, 35th, or 49th after a week in the Atacama Desert, what does it mean? Nothing. In 20 years from now, in two years from now, when you look back at this amazing year that you've taken on and this adventure that you've taken on and this cause that you're raising money for and you're deeply involved in and all the sacrifice you've made, will you remember ninth place or 11th place or 17th place or 34th place or 49th place? No. Does it make a difference? Do you win anything? Do you raise more money by getting ninth or 17th or 11th or 34th place? No. So a number is completely created in your mind about what competitive is. It's putting a number onto something that can't be quantified. You don't know how others train, what they do for a living, how they are with their families, how they are at their work everybody's circumstances are different and comparing ourselves to others as well as to a number, to a placing, because at the end of the day, we know you won't win. You're not gonna win. So, so now, yes, would you risk your body and your health and the enjoyment factor in order to move up a place that is, means nothing, that there is no award for, that there is no prize for? that there's only a number that stands in front of your name? Or do you want to ensure that you complete all four deserts and ensure that you're enjoying it and ensure that you are getting out of this exactly what you said prior you wanted to get out of getting it done and doing it and living it, right? Comparison, numbers, competitiveness. Competitiveness comes from comparison. Comparison robs our joy as Theodore Roosevelt was quoted saying comparison is the thief of joy and so once we check that ego and once we stop being competitive and thinking we're competitive because it's a narrative we only create for ourselves we can only do our best given our circumstances given our life circumstances given our body and all that you can, you, you're left with joy. Once you let go of all that, you're left to have an immersive experience. You're left to relax. You're left to enjoy the experience completely differently because you're not comparing to others running around you. You're left living in the moment and accepting this beautiful adventure that you're on. And so he wrote me back a text because we talked on WhatsApp and we had a crappy Skype connection and it was back and forth. He said, Chris, I totally agree with you about the ego. Working with you and this experience on what I traversed since 18 months. I mean, these fun, these were fun with half Ironmans and now four deserts. Since about two weeks, I worked on me to also be smart in case needed during the race. Enjoying the nature and the present moment are priorities for me the last two races. After Mongolia, something shifted inside me like I'm most alive when I'm immersed in nature. I can really feel that. I believe this plantar fasciitis, PF pain, is just a signal from something or someone telling me to go and learn to live the present moment. Removing the ego and letting go, the though, uh, letting it go probably, to be most alive, My race finish line will be my happiness. And actually more than that, I will use that in my life in the future. There's nothing about a race here. It's about being alive. I got it. And I get clean water access to these people. Thanks a lot, Chris. I wrote him back. I am proud of you. Embrace this. Don't let the resistance try to convince you otherwise. It will try resistance with a capital R. It will want to it will want you to compete, to push, to question yourself. But the beauty and joy and power of where you are, what you are doing is plenty. Keep that in mind. Really evaluate why we're being competitive in an in an adventure or in an event that really will not have a significant positive impact on your outcome. Now, of course, we're all doing events at times where it is competitive in order to get a slot, in order to improve, and we use it sometimes as a comparison with regards to others, but it's such a difficult story to tell. We don't know what the top 25, the top 30, the top 40% in the age group does, or how they live, or what they live, or the quality of their life and how much they train but yet we want to compare to them just because they're the same age, it's difficult. It's a difficult conversation. But if you feel good about knowing the work that you did and your effort and your detail to being an athlete, that should be plenty. And going out and having your best day possible, given you, only you, is all you can ask for. Comparison is the thief of joy. I received a really nice email from a listener, and she talked about how the podcast and lif- listening to everything you tell us made a world of a difference for her first Ironman this weekend in Maryland. And it's interesting, she brought up a point that I wanted to talk about, um, and not necessarily her point, but all Zone true training kept me steady through the entire day. I didn't have the best time but a finish was all I wanted which brings me to a point about zone 2 training we how to describe this what we're looking for with zone 2 training is how much of the foundation of the pyramid how much the base of the framework of the house we need in order to then top it off with zone 3 zone 4 work how much of it what the ratios are now this is a perfect example of how zone two work will get you through an ironman healthy comfortably not the fastest time but it will get you through an ironman it will get you through a 50k 50 miler 100 miler whatever it is marathon it will keep you safe right for lack of a better description safe with regards to breakdown on the bodies safe with regards to Training fatigue and chronic fatigue, safe with regards to adrenals, safe with regards to overuse injuries and so forth, because the stress level on the body is so low. And in most cases, I'm pretty safe to say you won't overdo it in the hours at zone two because most of us don't have enough time available in order to do that many hours to create those scenarios I was talking about with regards to adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue, overuse injuries, etc but and here's the big but the quantifier there was the fact that if you want to finish one and so therefore i'm not saying zone two is the answer for everybody and if you have specific goals or specific times or specific outcomes or specific placings in mind or sensations even during the event in mind we need to do different work that's specific to you for sure what, I, what i'm trying to say is zone two will get you through an ultra endurance event absolutely in the training you're safe there it's comfortable there it hopefully will keep you motivated without getting too bored but then your challenge my challenge as a coach of the said athlete becomes how much zone three how much zone four how much max effort intervals and how to sprinkle them all in and make the recipe just right so that the athlete is not only staying injury-free, staying healthy, staying motivated, staying away from the side effects of endurance training, but still maximizing the time they have available, the window of life that this endurance event allowed, and so forth. And if you're doing it on your own, that's good um, um, note-taking and insight and paying real close attention to how you feel, how you're eating, how you're sleeping, how your body is gently absorbing the ever increased amount of effort, tempo, threshold, VO2 max work that you're doing. And the concoction is no recipe for more than one person. right? Sure, on the bell curve, we can probably apply a bunch of things to a bunch of people, same similar training, But within that training becomes the finer details. What I mean by that is I can give you all the 12-week training plan for Ironman or for a 50-miler or for a 100-miler. And I could have um, 100 people do the exact same plan, right? And from that, I will have a certain percentage that will do really well with that plan. I will have a big percentage that will do solid, nothing great, nothing bad, but, you know, happy with their finish, but not overly um, overwhelmed or surprised or invigorated by it. And then I will have a small percentage that will also be like, that sucked. (laughs) I got slower. didn't work for me. I was bored or whatever. All the other aspects of a not successful outcome, whether through the training or through the event. And so That then is just your generic plan out of a book, or out of a magazine, or out of an uh, from a website, or from one of those that you can buy online, via Training Peaks, or you know any other type of plan. The what creates the uniqueness in that bell curve where we can start pulling people out on the front end of the curve that actually had a great race, or on the front end of the curve that were close to having a great race is the more we change the ingredients of that with listening to how they responded to individual workouts, individual training cycles, individual training weeks, and so forth, and then plotting a gently different course to take that bell curve and maybe flatten it out or roll it or move the wave of the bell curve more towards the front of the group that was extremely satisfied with their result um, and really surprised by how well they absorbed it. Because then we're increasing the number of people where the likelihood of success is higher because we're paying attention to how their body works and so forth. And so it's just another way to try to explain how Training plans are training plans. They're just something stagnant sitting out there. They're not dynamic. And what makes your training plan, your own individual training plan, whether it's me or you on your own or your own coach, um, what makes it dynamic and work for you is that constant adjustment and going back and forth, and maybe keeping the general concepts of the training of said purchased training plan in line but shuffling them around and moving them so that they work for you and your body and you're absorbing the training and your lifestyle and your family commitments and your work commitments and maybe they don't fit in a one-week window maybe the workouts of one week in that training plan for you takes you two weeks to complete Well, guess what? That 12-week training plan just turned into like a 20-week, not quite double, but maybe a 20-week training plan. And you try to get those key concepts spread out more for you because you know, A, you have less time available each day and on the weekends, and B, maybe your body needs to recover differently. Maybe after a long ride and a short run in a triathlon training plan, you need a day before you do something longer swimming and running. Or maybe when we're getting ready for um, a 50 miler or a 100 miler, like I typically like to do is after a long, steady aerobic day, I like to do leg turnover and speed work and Higher heart rate efforts to shock us out of that one speed, not lethargic, but just the one pace that the body recognizes in leg turnover and sort of energy levels. I like to shock our bodies out of that and always follow up a long day, aerobic, slow day with some speed work, right? Um, maybe for you, because you athlete, um, X3245721 needs a day of rest in there or needs a morning of recovery and then an afternoon where we gradually do 30 minutes easy and then sprinkle in some speed work but not a full speed work workout or maybe we need to do that on monday afternoon and maybe you prefer a bike ride at high heart rate high cadence efforts but not because of the pounding but because of the leg turnover you're getting the heart rate up right it depends and and so therefore now this training plan The concepts stay in place, but we've stretched it out over to maybe from a Saturday, Sunday to a Saturday, Monday, right? Or now we're including more cycling in a running training plan. And so now things spread out a little bit more because you're doing the work differently on the bike and so forth. So again, all this is just to highlight that zone two is not meant to be the answer, but it's the fundamental entry point so that we can definitely do these events. And then if we're curious to do them faster, then the component of zone three and zone four and VO2 max becomes part of a bigger um, emphasis. So, yeah, I just thought I'd share that. Well, let's dive into some more emails this week. I have so many to go through, and I think it keeps things going with regards to the questions and the training implications and the training applications and so forth. But before I do that, I wanted to bring up um, a side point, and that is reading some of the logs lately, I've noticed that there's a little way that we can not trick, but change, reframe how we're going about, especially the log, because the log is, our training logs, are a unique opportunity every day to sort of journal a little bit. And the cool thing about our training is that it's just us. So it's just an opportunity every day for us to focus on ourselves. And we've talked about that a lot, but also to journal about ourselves and try some things out um, that we can apply in training, but that, as we all know, bleeds into other areas of our life. And one of those is this interesting format that I would say I read a fair amount and that is the the way we frame how the day went or how the workout went whether it's in race reports when they say i wish i could have or if it were only four or i know i can do better but right Um, I would like to reframe that in most workouts. And I would give this a try for a couple of journal entries of your workouts, Training Peaks, Workout Log. um, I think there's a a few others that people use out there, but even in your own training journal and switching that format, that verbiage to, today was a great workout because I'm maybe listing two or three things. And because we start with that, because we start with the three things or two things that went really well, it will be easier to identify things we wanna work on for the next workout, as well as to keep a positive mindset of what the workout truly is. Your time, your special time, your positive time, your alone time every day, your hobby. You choose to do this. So as we enter it into the log, today was great because right i worked quite hard when i was working on my drills hard being i focused on good technique and sound posture and light feet for example Um, today was a great workout because i was able to build my intervals as described as designed by 10 to 12 seconds every 15 minutes today was a great workout because my under over wattages were very clear and crisp and I was able to stay in control the entire time. Now, can we close that out with, here's, our, here's something I would like to do better, not something I did wrong or I failed at, or, but just something we can do better. And that doesn't always have to be identified. We can just leave it with, these are the things that made today's workout great. The weather was awesome. It wasn't too hot today. It rained yesterday, so the trails were soft and um, muddy and dirty and it felt amazing. Or it cooled off and I was able to run at a better heart rate. Or it was really hot out and I was able to run in just a tank top or, you know, a t shirt. Or, you know, I was able to, I mean, there's so many ways to identify what makes that workout great. Maybe not the workout itself, but like I was just describing, the environment and so forth. Use your training. Use your time every day that you are in control of, that you choose to do in order to create a better mindset, a better narrative, better outlook for the rest of your day and in general. Because Switching over to a positive mindset, and it's not artificial. You're identifying some clear things, and maybe it's only two things. Maybe it's only one thing, and maybe we leave it at that. But by switching over to that, the, the positives in it, it just gives you a different feel of accomplishment. Again, try it for a few workouts, see how you like it, or see if it has any effect. If not, that's fine but at least you tried and you're trying to apply different concepts and theories with your alone time. It allows you to test it on yourself and has no impact on anything else, right? It's your own training journal. Sure, for my athletes, I see it, but I love reading athletes. I mean, obviously me as a coach, it makes me feel good when the athlete writes, today was awesome because, today was a great workout because, makes reading it so much better. So back to this email or the, the first email. Um, I enjoyed their interview with Eric and on how his Tough mutter training was going. I thought I would read out, reach out with a few questions of my own. I'm currently training for my third half marathon in November with it being my first time doing it heart on ba- heart rate-based training thanks to you and Richie. I call him Richie, as you all know, Rich Roll, for inspiring me. I've decided to run my first full marathon next year at the detroit free press marathon right on go blue um yeah i'm a michigan man to celebrate my 30th birthday well that's awesome after that i believe i want to eventually take on 50ks my question for you is what sort of fitness training should i be doing between my half marathon and when i start the full marathon training plan i live in michigan go blue so typically during the winter, I don't run outside much. Should I focus more on strength training? I would, uh, I would like to avoid losing all the fitness I've gained this summer. I apologize if you've already covered this. First of all, never worry about things that I have covered already. I don't have a good index um, show notes of my podcast. So I realize some of these things will get duplicated and talked about frequently. But I also feel every unique case is different there's a double entendre there unique case is different but um with that I think we all learn by hearing it repetitively so this will help all right so what would I do after this half marathon in November and a full marathon next year now it depends when that full marathon is is it in April well then something from November A growth and a training plan and a progression to April is a different story than, of course, to July or August of next summer. So that would become the first question. Um, When we have time like that, and as you've heard here before on the podcast, I like it that we can build in more recovery weeks. We can gently build up the stress, the volume, the bigger run weeks, and then pull back and really have a recovery week or a very light week, and then gently build back up again and progress past our previous point ever so gently. So in an ideal world that you don't even realize, wow, I've put together some great training weeks. Um, I really enjoy reading that or seeing that from my athletes when they, they notice, wow, I didn't think I've been doing that much training, but the builds are really looking nice And i can see how what used to be difficult 14 15 16 mile run is now almost a standard or feels like a normal run or i don't have to think much about it like i want you to think about it but it's not intimidating it's going out and executing so but given the winter um there are a variety of some great options especially um in michigan and the mid upper midwest um I love running outside in the snow when there's fresh snow. And you can get some great um, um, clips uh, for your shoes. You wear regular running shoes and you can put something over them that allows your footing and traction to be really great. Um, And I'll have to send those out if you need them because I don't remember what they're called. Actually, let me check. There we go. They're called yak tracks. And I really enjoy those. Um, it makes running outside in the winter so easy. And um, these days with the technical gear, the clothing um, that is breathable, but warm, it do, does really make it a unique experience to have the opportunity to train outside in the winter. Now, don't get me wrong. I know what it's like to train in Michigan in the winter. Well, not really, I was a swimmer there. So I would move from the dorms to the <laughs> to the swimming pool so it was cold but not that long cold with regards to running that being said um i would do that maybe once or twice a week getting outside enjoying the outside and you know as we know there's not always snow on the ground so once or twice a week outside with the proper footing and the proper gear once or twice inside tr- um on a treadmill. Again, keeping the volume progressing and so forth. I would probably use my long runs outside and do my quality inside. And then yes, some strength training, some core stability, and some different activities. So I just listed four workouts of running a week. If you have some extra time, that's great. Um, and then working in one or two gym and strength, strength and stability sessions. Now we're talking six sessions for a week, which is plenty because that'll give you one day off. Now we were at seven days. Now the strength ch- sessions and the core and stability st- sessions, as all my athletes know, I love to have those cleaned up with a little bit of running after. So 20 to 35, even 40 minutes of good, clean posture running post strength, stability, or core in order to recruit the muscles for running on a tired chassis frame body. Um, Just makes you more alert uh, and aware of the muscles you just fatigued, core, midsection, hamstrings, glutes, hip flexors, and so forth. And then activating and using them in the discipline you're going to be applying them for. Um, So that's extra runs right there a week. Then the other days, some speed work and leg turnover, which is great on a treadmill. Keep in mind, treadmill running has a very unique quality of A, getting your leg speed up, and B, some really good treadmills have a downhill aspect. Um, Nothing steep, maybe minus one percent. But again, helping you get the leg turnover up without destroying your quads and hamstrings and so on with regards to pounding downhill, just a slight downhill. Again, leg speed up, bigger stride, higher leg turnover equals a faster time. And then, of course, those long aerobic runs outside, which A, are invigorating, B, burn your lungs because the air is so cold Um, and see like I've always said the heart doesn't know what it's doing so just keep it pretty steady out there just go for a nice long run if it's too icy too slippery at times so you walk a little bit Um, but yeah I would keep it mixed up with outside despite despite the weather Um, and that's how I would probably go about it again it depends if it's April it depends if it's August so I hope that helps Um, should I focus more on strength training? No, I wouldn't focus more. I would integrate it and make sure it is truly not just a a added workout a week, but it is truly one of your main workouts, two workouts a week where you spend a good 45 minutes to an hour working on strength and core and stability and running that 20 to 40 minutes after. So that's a pretty long session. I would like to um, avoid losing all the fitness I gained this summer. Yeah, so that should help. All right, another one here. I'm new to the podcast and it has become one of my favorites. Well, thank you. I binge listen at work. (laughs) That makes me laugh. Why? Because my voice at work, (laughs) that just seems funny. But I still have a lot of episodes to catch up on. So you may have already addressed the topic of living at low altitude and training for a high-altitude event. I live in Atlanta, hot Atlanta, so I'm not much above sea level, and I wanna run Leadville Heavy Half Marathon next June. Even though it's not an ultra-endurance event, I think the altitude will make it seem like one. I've read that training in the heat, which we have plenty of here, can cause adaptations similar to training at altitude, but I'm not sure if that's accurate. Is there an episode that addresses low-altitude training? yeah this one (laughs) so um by the way my group that did leadville 100 last year um in august well not last year a couple months ago they were from atlanta so um their ability to train there and then race at altitude was um something that they worked on um now they had a different coach i just helped them a little bit but um that coach prepared them well for the event, but also they had the luxury of going up to Telluride, going up into the Rockies a couple times to see how their body would react to altitude. Um, The other thing to keep in mind there is that your ability to get to altitude and see how it will react and how it responds and how you feel from it will carry over, um, obviously really well to your training, but It also highlights that some of us are just more prone and more responsive and have a better ability to adapt to altitude than others. There's a lot of studies out lately that talk about this from a genetic standpoint, that some of us just have the ability to do better at altitude than others. Now, it's not that we're magically at the same speed, same heart rate, um, same lung capacity and all that, no, but we're able to deal with it better we do have a better response in the body for it. And those that don't, despite any adaptation, it's never going to reach a point of comfort. So knowing that, I often say, well, instead of focusing our energy on trying to adapt for altitude, I would get up there very um, short period of time beforehand and just go do it. One of my athletes, She is in China and um, she does things at altitude all the time. I I talked about her a few months ago on the podcast on doing this super um, high altitude run, um, a sky run in China. You know, she was above 10,000, 12,000 feet and coming from sea level, you know, it's just a question of slowing down and finding your comfort zone. Um, What I've noticed at altitude in general is that once your heart rate, your breathing pattern goes over a certain level, whatever that is for you, the recovery process of that is hard because you're almost hyperventilating. And because of that, it doesn't allow you to get the proper breaths and slow the heart rate down and then get back into a groove or a place or a heart rate rate or a a breathing pattern that is more applicable to you. So knowing that has been a big key for a lot of athletes of once I've gotten over that threshold, uh uh-oh, be careful here, dial it back a bit because I can feel the shortness of breath. I can feel, I'm not panicking, but there is definitely that um, um, response in the body. Um, It's it's almost neuromuscular um, via neurotransmitters, via a fight or flight aspect um, that, you would want to stay away from that. Now, can you recover from that? Of course, you just have to stop, start walking, really bring the heart rate back, really control breathing, and then settle back in. It's easily done, but it just makes for a weird anxious situation or um, a few minutes. So we want to avoid that. But in your training, yes, heat is shown to help, a little bit and not enough where you feel better at altitude because you don't have the comparison, right? You don't have the comparison of how you were at altitude before heat and then after heat training. Um, I would not overthink it too much. It is what it is. And I know that's a lame answer, but you, unless you have the opportunity to go train at altitude or spend two, three, four weeks prior at altitude, um, to Leadville or this half uh, half trail marathon, then there's nothing you can do about it. And so you can only get to your fittest. You can only do your best effort on that day up there and enjoy the the beautiful scenery, the opportunity to do it, your fitness to be able to do it, to do something very unique and fun and challenging. And I know it, it creates... Um, nerves for us to think about how will I do at altitude, but change that narrative I would recommend because there's nothing you can do to change it, right? There is no control factor there that you just say, well, I will deal with the adversity when I get there, but I will be at my fittest. And there is nothing I can do about that, right? Again, these are the things where I'm sort of not, I don't want to be insulting, but we're not going to win it and we're not going to be last. And so I'm just gonna approach it with, I'm gonna enjoy my fitness that I worked hard for. I'm gonna enjoy the fact that I can do this at altitude. Yes, you can do it at altitude. Doesn't mean you can't do it. You just have to gradually build into it, allow your body to find steady state and a breathing pattern that works based off of the run pace that you're doing. And maybe that means hiking some of the hills and the rollers. And then realize, wow, I did a half trail marathon at above 10,000 feet. And it was awesome. It was beautiful. It was unique. It was an adventure. It scared me a bit and kept me focused. And now what's next? Right? So there is plenty of science behind this. But I'm not sure you're looking for the scientific answer. Whereas more, you know what, you're doing it, you're gonna go out and do it, I would recommend getting there 24 hours prior. Maybe let's say if the race is on a Sunday, you get there Friday night or Saturday um, early in the day. I know that seems weird with the time change and so forth, but just go out and do it. The other thing is that I've talked about with time change is that in this case, two hours, it is what it is. Your fitness will be good enough that you can do this event at 2 a.m., 2 p.m., 6 a.m., 6 p.m. So getting plenty of sleep the week prior to the event and then going into it fit and rested, you'll be ready. And it'll feel good. And you'll enjoy the adventure of it. So hope that helps. All right, one last question. And I do these in order that they come. Now, there's a couple of questions that I save because I want to discuss them with experts or with um, other coaches to make sure that I have the proper answer as well as discussion around it. So if you sent me a question and it's been pending for a while, it's probably because I'm following up with some discussion. Um, another th- question is, or another topic I wanted to bring up is, I'm going to have Emily on the podcast, I would say, either next week or in two weeks from now. I head to Hawaii next week, so not sure on how that'll work. Um, we'll both be there, but of course, um, we'll be busy doing other things. And so maybe in two weeks from now, so if you have nutrition-based questions, maybe this is a good time to send them. The the, the part that I'll qualify that with is we got to keep that high level because nutrition is such an individual process, an in, individual um, um, outlook slash input slash unique to you um, that getting into the weeds of that I know her response will have to be, I need to see your food logs. I need to get some blood work done. I need to do this. I need to do that in order to paint the proper picture of you, the athlete who is asking for some input. So we can talk bigger picture. We can talk different approaches. We can talk different um, diets. Um, And again, these are sensitive topics to a lot of people. So we'll just have a discussion around it, her and I. And along those lines, um, understanding that food is in a very emotional attachment in our day-to-day, it becomes not only a sensitive topic, but becomes one that's um, debated heavily because we all feel good about what we're doing. So if we keep the questions in sort of that array, that way we can sort of um, answer specific questions. Questions that people have with regards to well, what do you think about, um, you know, fish these days? Is how often the week would you recommend we eat it? You know, something like that, we can give guidance, we can give insight, we can give whys, but again, we don't know what else you eat, what other nutrients you're getting, what, uh, you know, how your body's absorbing them, um, what your training patterns are, and so forth. So let's keep the questions somewhat um, on a level that we can truly give you guidance versus some vague answers. So like, what do you think of keto-based diets? Well, we can answer that from an athlete perspective, an endurance athlete perspective and bell curve and what we've seen over the years with regards to results and outcomes and theories, but it might not give you any actionable items. Right. Um, When it comes to other questions where we can give you actionable items would be um, before a race, what would you recommend for breakfast or during a race? What would you recommend for this? Because I'm plant based or, you know, after a workout, you recommend what would you recommend I eat and I'm this or I did that. And um, so hopefully that that categorizes the questions a little bit more but i have a good six or seven people here with emails with nutrition-based questions so uh so last email sorry in this regard i really want to thank you for your comment about a and b races and tapers oh this is the person i answered a previous email from i went into the year with my early summer race being my b race and my end of summer race being my a race i was considering doing a shorter taper so that i could maximize my training windows I ended up doing a full taper and really going for it in my early summer race. I agree with those, by the way, I'll cut you off there, because we take what we can. If we're feeling good, if we're healthy, and we want to see how we're progressing with our training, go for it. I don't like that B races, A races aspect, and many of you know this. A race is a race. It's an opportunity to put forth our skill, to highlight our training, to understand what worked in the training, and to practice giving it our best effort. Along those lines, we also have a huge training effect from hitting that deep of a well with regards to output. Um, Some of the best training sessions you can do are where you spend some time in every zone, in every energy output of the body aerobic anaerobic vo2 max you're busting through atp you're emptying your glycogen stores all that has huge effects on the body because again evolutionary that's how we're designed we're designed to tap into all of our reserves recover from it rebuild from it and come back stronger that's how adaptations happen so races Are always to me a races otherwise I find you're insulting yourself now of course an Olympic distance race two weeks before an Ironman is not necessarily an a race but we approach it with the mindset and the prep and the diligence and the effort as though it were an a race because again we if we're going to do it versus training Do it because we planned for it to be our best effort and a great simulation of engaging and pushing hard and digging deep. If we don't learn to do that process enough and the digging deep, it won't be there when we need it for that run, for that race, for that adventure. If we don't practice being in a focused, present, executing, strategic mindset, Um, It won't be there when we need it. So there is no such thing, in my opinion, the way I approach it, that there is this B race and we don't take it so seriously. See if the taper works. See what you need. See how you felt by going through the full process you learn and understand and can apply and grow and then have another A race that's better. You know yourself better. You know, any world-class elite athlete think of it they have plenty of a races a season right they're looking to do their best at multiple a races so yes we're in the endurance realm and to say we can't every weekend have an a race that's 10 12 30 hours long i get that but again we can approach it if we're going to put it on the calendar and if it's going to be there and and take away from other time because we're going to rest for it. Look, it sounds like a little bit anyway. Well, then let's do the full gamut and learn and approach. And some of you might say, well, Chris, that's not how you do it with me as your athlete. Um, I do it like that. Yes, but it's a question of how quickly we come out of it, how you feel recovered after it, and how quickly we taper down before it. And it's all just learning and applying your your fitness level and your... Taper drop off is still a different uh, it's a work in progress. What I mean by that is that we're still testing what works best for you. Right. This is where I've had that conversation on the podcast with sometimes athletes need to stay attached to their endurance fitness to feel good and confident going into the endurance event. Others are okay with two, three weeks of very light activity and still staying connected to their endurance platform, despite not having done anything endurance for two, three weeks, but fresh and bouncing off the walls and ready to take on a 12, 14, 18, 20 hour event. So I do approach it like that, but I'm also trying to learn different approaches with regards to you, the athlete, to know as we move on and as we grow in the sport, what seems to have worked best for you physically and mentally. So um, I was considering doing a shorter taper. It ended up being a good thing that I did that because I really got a great result and my late summer race got canceled. Well, there you go. You never know because of low enrollment numbers. That's it. You take advantage of the racing we have and the opportunity to put forth our best Right? Had I gone through my plan to train through the B race, I would have been very disappointed with my race season. Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely right though, you never know how the season is going to unfold. On to the question. I'm intending on getting lactate threshold tests this off season. I don't plan on doing them as frequently as you suggest as I cannot afford it. When in the season would you suggest getting the test done to maximize its effectiveness? Good question. I'm currently a week past my late summer race and do not have another major race planned until June of next year. Secondly, what short, sort of rest or preparation should I have going into the lactate test? Should I go in with a decent training load in my body or be slightly or fairly well rested? All right, this is a good question. So in an ideal world, what I would do is I would use the lactate threshold scientific validating test to validate the field tests that I can frequently do for free, right? So what I would recommend in this case, and for many of my athletes, I do this because tests are expensive, yeah. Um, Let's field test. Let's field test on the bike. Let's field test on the run. Um, Harder to do in the swim because we also don't use heart rate there for training i mean you can use it but that's a different discussion um and then let's go test in a lab that way we can compare the two numbers see how close we are or what kind of adjustments we need to make to our field test or from the field test results and then that way when we re-field test again in eight weeks 12 weeks 14 16 weeks we can use sort of that not formula because it doesn't work that exactly, but that insight to make sure we're applying the field test correctly. So that's one thing. Two is I would test um, at the beginning of my season. <clears throat> so if you're planning to train through the winter, I would test and use those numbers for a good six-ish months, and and then test as you approach June. So if your next race is June, I would probably want new numbers in April. So that's two tests. So that might, um, hopefully you can do that. But then, um, yeah, I, I would do that like that and then combine that with the field testing. What was the other question here? Um, when in the season would you suggest getting the test done to maximize, it, maximize its effectiveness? the other thing to keep in mind with testing in general is that it is a it's, it's just a cross-section of where you currently are it's an insight a snapshot a picture um data of where you currently are that can change in six weeks not just because of training but because of um sleep because of seasons because of fitness because of other stresses in your life um you know and i say seasons because i do believe in um that that we, our body is motivated differently and seasonal sort of w- waves of motivation and body adapting to it and needing more sleep um, because the nights get longer and it's harder. Um, don't get me wrong. And with that, but and I also listen to my body for that. If it wants more sleep due to the fall and winter and shorter days, I actually listen to that. I'm fine with that. It is what it is. My body is telling me something that it prefers. Honest. that's a side note. But um, so I was currently a week past my late summer race and did not have another ma- ra- race. So you, you don't wanna do it in in out of shape. I agree with that. But I would get two, three, four weeks of training in, maybe even four-ish, and then um, start the process right? Um, and then again, comparing it to field testing. Secondly, what sort of rest or preparation should I have going into a lactate test? Well, a good lactate test tester will tell you they want a good 24 to 36 hours of rest for it. It is a max effort. With good lactate threshold testing, VO2 max testing, well, you hear that in the, in the wording VO2 max, um, you should be hitting failure. This isn't something where it's just a couple of stages and then you're, you, you have enough data or you feel okay and then you're done. No, you should be failing. It should suck, <laughs> quite honestly. You should be digging that deep because we want all that data on the top end too that I've talked about in the past with regards to fatigue and comparative data for the future. So you will want to be somewhat rested in order to dig that deep. You don't want to be flat and tired um, for a lactate threshold test. So 24 to 36 hours, but you don't taper more than that for it. That's You don't change your workouts because of it. You just give yourself some rest and some sleep going into it. Um, should I get a decent training load in my body or be slightly or fairly well rested? So like I said, for that part, 36-ish hours, 24 to 36 hours. Um, so what I often do is I have an athlete do a swim Let's say they're testing on a Friday, they'll swim on a Wednesday, they'll take Thursday off, and they'll test Friday morning, right? Swim is not that big of a fatigue on the muscular load with regards to impact, but they're still having a fitness stimulus, aerobic and anaerobic with swimming, but um, that way they'll recover from that the rest of Wednesday, take all of Thursday off and test, um, friday morning if it's later in the day friday we might do you know a swim thursday morning rest all of the rest of thursday and most of friday and so forth you guys get the point the other thing is um, again give yourself a few weeks to feel good about your fitness now you don't want to chase this and keep waiting you got to take that snapshot in time the test doesn't mean it's your performance and it's your outcome it just gives you training zones too many people put so much nerves into or put so much value into their test that a their nerves are a little bit higher with regards to heart rate beating although that settles a good tester can see right through that and then secondly um, they're worried about these numbers as if those numbers are somehow going to magically create something to tell you that you're a world-class athlete or that you're not good enough to do this no they're just they're just it's just data just numbers on a page and we take those numbers and we apply them to maximize your training to maximize the limited time you have to train effectively and not have any guesswork in there there's already enough guesswork in this entire endurance fitness lifestyle healthy aspects from training to sensations to recovery to um, resting to food To all that stuff let's get the data that we can in order to actually train how we we want to maximize our time with the data that we actually can control and lactate threshold testing with field testing is an ideal way to do that so all right that'll be it for the questions this week and actually for the podcast this week so That put me in another five, six, seven questions this week and some observations. So we got pretty good into a podcast here. We're 56 minutes now. So I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for making it this far as always into the Weekly Word podcast, episode 86 now. And yeah, We'll jump into it hopefully with a good podcast or some insights or some data or some perspective from Kona next week. I will say from a Kona perspective, I am not going with um, a focus on the race and more on a focus with meeting with a few people. Emily's going to meet with a few of athletes that she's working with. And I of course will work with or see my athletes, but overall a big push and prep into what Kona will be this year, I don't really know. Um, I have a good friend of mine who is uh, managing, and as well as doing Ironman himself, but managing uh, Patrick Lang. So um, it'll be some interesting insights that I'll get from him with regards to how Patrick is doing and Ferris coaches him. So it'll be fun to talk to an old friend in Ferris. We're both from the same hometown in Germany. And um, yeah, just get a hopefully some perspective to share with all of you on the on a kona based podcast but sometimes i'm over there and i just don't get a chance to sit down and record and do anything significant because it is hawaii it is beautiful and it is a couple days away from it all so maybe it won't it, there won't be anything and we will wait till i'm back stateside on next sunday all right Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Thank you so much for supporting me and this podcast. Thank you so much for your interest in the newsletter. Thank you so much for your questions and your feedback and your ideas for the podcast. Thank you. Just a really heartfelt thank you to all of you for making this fun, straight-up fun, recording a podcast every week. There's no outcome here. I'm not trying to... um, gain a following I'm not looking for sponsors I'm not looking to sell anything I just want to share and the more I can share and the more I can help and the more people are involved in endurance activity and healthy lifestyles with fitness and endurance training outdoors in nature and checking in with themselves every day that makes me happy and however I can contribute to that I will and as you noticed my interest is starting to go deeper and deeper into understanding what we're truly missing in our day-to-day with regards to what nature means, what training means, what self-care means, and how we hopefully can connect with something deeper if we're going to be doing this as well. So, All right, have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much.